Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. And as a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Musner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Mary. Um, I really want to thank you so much for uh, welcoming everyone to the call. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Nutrition, Physical Activity, and You, a Guide for People Living with Cancer. Now, this is a very popular topic. We have many of you on the call today. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. So we have on the call today over 1,023 participants. So there are a lot of you on the call, over 1,000 of you on the call today. And you come from all over the United States, from all different regions and states in the U.S. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, Mexico, Nigeria, the Philippines, Syria, Thailand, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call. You're really from all over the world. And I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to all the materials that you received from Cancer Care. And those materials is information about our speakers and the topics they'll be covering. And there also is information about all of the different um, collaborating organizations, which can be resources for all of you. There is also an evaluation form, and I would ask you all to please complete that evaluation form. We would not be offering today's program if you all had not told us, and, and, and really all of you have told us you want us to do a program on this topic. So please do um, fill out those evaluation forms. We take them very seriously. We are planning many programs for 2012, and indeed your recommendations really inform what the programs are that we plan. So um, we, we depend upon your, your recommendations, really. Um, this program was made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Novartis Oncology, and I really want to thank them for their support of our program today. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker for today. Um, and our first speaker today is Dr. Jennifer Ligabel. Dr. Ligabel is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School, attending Physician Women's Cancers Program, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Now, Dr. Ligabel is going to start and present an overview of cancer-related weight changes, causes of weight loss or weight gain, communicating with your healthcare team about your weight changes, and recommended lifestyle modifications. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Ligabel. Hello, everyone. Um, I would say good afternoon, but I'm realizing that in India and other places, it's probably the middle of the night, so we're really excited that, uh, that everyone is joining us today. Um, I am a medical oncologist. I take care of women with breast cancer, and I will say that very few days go by where patients don't ask me about their weight. Why are they gaining weight? How can they lose weight? And this is really a surprise to many people because I think that um, many individuals still have the picture of a cancer patient as someone who's very thin, who has trouble keeping down food, has trouble maintaining their weight. Um, and more and more we see that with the newer medicines we have, um, that people don't have the same struggles um, with their weight 
that was present many years ago. But in fact, many, many women and many people in general who are diagnosed with cancer will gain weight, which creates another set of issues. Um, there have been many studies that show that the average woman who's diagnosed with breast cancer will gain somewhere between 5 and 10 pounds in the year after diagnosis. Very similar findings have been seen in other common malignancies, like prostate cancer, where many men will gain 9 pounds to 10 pounds in the year after diagnosis. So we know that these weight changes are something that happen to many people who are diagnosed with cancer. So why is this happening? You know, I think that one of the things that we see as we look across people with cancer is that this weight gain is seen in a lot of different malignancies, and there are certain patterns that we see. Individuals who receive chemotherapy seem to gain more weight than people who don't. This is especially true in breast cancer for younger women who may go through menopause when they receive chemotherapy. So there are some hormonal changes that can contribute to weight gain. Uh, we also see weight gain more commonly in malignancies that don't involve the GI tract. Things like head and neck cancer and things like that that affect eating, weight gain is not as common. Um, there have been many studies that look at, um, again, breast cancer, since this is where most of the information is, looking at patterns of weight gain in people that take different types of medicines that change hormone levels. So we're sort of seeing a pattern here with as we change someone's hormones, the, the things that kind of control weight, that this can contribute more to weight changes. And um, I know that in my clinic, a lot of patients who are receiving medicines like tamoxifen and the aromatase inhibitors complain about weight changes, although big studies suggest that women tend to gain weight after breast cancer diagnosis no matter what kind of medicines they're taking. Women who receive these types of therapies, um, at least anecdotally, have a lot of kind of more specific complaints about weight changes. There have been a number of studies that have tried to sort this out. Why are people gaining weight? Why are people who get it chemotherapy especially susceptible to weight changes. Um, there was a study that uh, Dr. DeMarc Wanafred, who's going to speak with me after, who's going to speak on this call after me, did looking at women with early breast cancer, trying to look at what are the factors that most influence weight change. And this really gets to a concept called energy balance. When you think about how much someone weighs, there are a number of different factors that go into that how much food they're eating, how much energy they use and exercise, and then what is their metabolic rate. So there's sort of three pieces to this puzzle. If you look at the weight that comes in minus the energy that you spend, that sort of equals weight. And so Dr. DeMarc Wanafried in this study took several women who were undergoing chemotherapy for early breast cancer and measured very carefully what were the women eating, how much activity were they doing, what was their metabolism, and what happened with their weight. And in this study, she found that the women who decreased their exercise were the women who seemed to have the biggest changes in their weight over the course of this study. And there have been a couple of other small studies that have also shown that the amount of activity that people were doing tended to be one of the biggest factors contributing to their changes in weight over time. And we know that activity is affected by cancer diagnosis. I think it's not a surprise to many people on this call that physical activity is more difficult to do when you're going through cancer therapy, when you're tired or you develop other side effects like neuropathy. It makes activity levels lower during therapy. There was a big study in breast cancer patients 
called the HEAL study, Health, Eating, Activity, and Lifestyle Study, where they studied this in women who were diagnosed with early breast cancer, and they looked at how much exercise they were doing before diagnosis and then several time periods afterwards. They found that the average woman decreased her exercise by about two hours a week or a third of her total exercise between the time of diagnosis and later. Um, and 50% of women still hadn't gotten back up to their normal levels of activity or their pre-diagnosis levels even three years after cancer diagnosis. So we know that exercise is an important part of managing your weight, but that things related to treatment make exercise harder. And so a lot of people diminish their exercise after cancer diagnosis. We know this is important for other reasons. There have been many, many studies which have been done that show that women who exercise and who keep their weight stable after diagnosis have better body image and more self-confidence. Um, there are some studies that suggest that these women tend to be healthier and live longer too. So exercise after diagnosis is a really key part of being a cancer survivor, but one that's not necessarily the easiest thing uh, to do. And Dr. Silver, who's going to speak at the end end of this call is going to speak about some practical tips for how people can increase their activity after a cancer diagnosis. So in thinking about weight and cancer, we know that a lot of people do gain weight after cancer diagnosis. We know that some groups of people may be more at risk, people that are getting chemotherapy, people that go through changes in their hormone levels, either because of the medicines they're getting or because of other factors related to their surgery. As a cancer survivor, are there things that you should be thinking about or doing from the initial diagnosis through the survivorship period? Um, and I think that this is one place where talking to your doctor is important, both at the time of your initial diagnosis and afterwards, talking about your concerns about weight. I know as a medical oncologist, sometimes visits are very busy and we tend to focus more on this is the medicine that you're going to be getting or this is your schedule. But these things are important too. And I think that when you talk to your doctor about your concerns with weight, you may find that there are many resources that the hospital has to offer. Speaking with a dietitian early at the time of your initial diagnosis and through your treatment to figure out what are healthy eating choices to help avoid weight gain during therapy. Many cancer centers and uh, hospitals now also have exercise programs for people that are going through therapy and afterwards to help people get started being physically active. There are also a lot of community resources that your doctor may be able to point out to you. Uh, there are uh, YMCAs that offer programs in conjunction with the Live Strong program that offer ways to help cancer survivors become more active and exercise with other cancer survivors. There are also um, different types of structured dietary programs that some people find helpful. So I think it's important. Sometimes my patients say to me, I feel sort of silly bringing up weight when we're talking about my cancer and my treatment, but I really want to encourage people that this is an important part of their care, both during their treatment and afterwards, and that their health professional uh, may have some suggestions that can help keep weight stable, help keep people active, and help them feeling, keep feeling well through their therapy and afterwards. I just briefly want to talk about a couple of guidelines um, that a few of the groups that think about these types of lifestyle factors for cancer survivors have put forward to kind of give people a little bit of structure for what they can think about in terms of making changes with diet and exercise. Uh, 
The American Cancer Society a number of years ago put together some general guidelines uh, for diet and exercise choices for individuals with a history of cancer. And they really recommend many of the things that we recommend to people in general, even if they haven't been diagnosed with cancer. Staying active, trying to exercise at least five days a week, doing moderate intensity activity like walking at a three mile an hour pace. Trying to keep weight stable or losing a little bit of weight for people that have, lost, that have gained weight during their therapy. Um, consuming a healthy diet that's based on plants, and I know Dr. DeMarc Wanafried is an expert in this and is going to talk in more detail, um, but really getting your nutrients from your diet and trying to make sure that you eat a diet that's healthy for your heart, for your body, these things are also important for cancer. More recently, the American College of Sports Medicine also put together some guidelines for cancer survivors, and I think that they've really gone a long way in thinking about what type of exercise is good for and safe for cancer patients. And I know Dr. Silver will talk more about this at the end of the call, but I think that one of the reassuring messages that the American College of Sports Medicine puts forth is that you know, moderate exercise is really safe for most individuals, whether they're going through treatment or they've finished treatment for cancer. Starting a walking program is something that everyone should talk to their doctor about, but we don't recommend that people have to go through all sorts of fancy testing and things before starting to do things that can help them feel good. Again, the American College of Sports Medicine recommends regular, moderate activity, not trying to uh, run 10 miles from the first time that you're exercising, but really starting slowly, getting your heart rate up, and slowly building back your strength. Uh, I think that these are goals that are attainable for most people, and are things that can help people keep themselves healthy through treatment and afterwards. So I think now we will turn to Dr. DeMarc Wanafried, who's going to speak more specifically about weight and diet for cancer survivors. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Ligavelle, for just an outstanding presentation, very informative, um, lots of excellent topics, and I know that um, there will be lots of questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Wendy DeMarc Wanafried. And Dr. Wanafried is Professor and Webb Endowed Chair of Nutrition Sciences, Associate Director, UAB Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Dr. DeMarc Wanafried is going to address um, weight management strategies um, and actually um, also um, dietary changes that you can make practical eating recommendations, and nutritional concerns and tips. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Wendy DeMarc Wenefried. Thank you so much. And that was, an, again, I agree, it was an outstanding presentation by Dr. Ligabel. Uh, I'm going to be talking more about the specifics of weight management from the dietary point of view. I'm a nutritionist, and I've been doing research in cancer survivors for about 20 years. And there's a lot that cancer survivors can do about their diet uh, and about weight management. Uh, before I really launch in specifically to dietary recommendations, um, the other balance of negative energy balance has to do with exercise. Again, Dr. Silver is going to be addressing this. But it, this is a, also a very important part of uh, weight management. 
and to exercise at least, um, try to get as much, much exercise as possible, avoid inactivity, um, but 30 to, uh, at least 30 minutes a day is recommended. But I'm going to let her go into the specifics there. Uh, I will deal more with diet, and uh, in uh, whatever I do not cover, please uh, call with your questions. Be anxious to, or um, very um, uh, willing to address any questions. One of the things that I get as a nutritionist when I when I do do talks in cancer survivors is well how uh, you know what can I do? Uh, well, there are some various various strategies, and some of these are pretty global. And what I'll do is I will start with the global strategies and then nail um, basically drill down into specific strategies. So um, global strategies. One is portion control. And, uh, the, um, and how we can actually curb how much we eat uh, based on uh, what, we, what, what sorts of rules we, we kind of uh, uh, have our dietary intake take. Um, and one of these is, is, is to, try to uh, try to go into a meal feeling less hungry. Well, how do you do that? One way is, is to actually uh, take uh, or eat something that's very high in volume to occupy a, a place in the stomach before you do sit down for a meal. So drinking a, a big glass of water uh, or drinking uh, a diet soda before sitting down to a meal can often take the edge off of the appetite. Another way that you can do this is to have raw vegetables, again, something that, that will fill up the stomach with not very many calories. Uh, a piece of fruit also could be um, could take the edge off an appetite. Now, fruit has more calories than vegetables, so it's uh, it can add up. However, you know, having one piece of fruit can can often um, can take that edge off the appetite and, and often make it harder or um, uh, less likely that that people would eat more uh, more calories. So. Um, the other way is is to just to um, uh, to use smaller plates to um, kind of make it a rule that half of the plate uh, when you sit down to eat should be occupied by vegetables and uh, roughly a quarter of that should be um, to some uh, devoted to some sort of meat meat product and then a fourth of that uh, to grains so by following those simple rules eating on a smaller plate uh, eating at least half of the plate filled with vegetables, and then the remainder um, uh, with uh, meat and grain will will um, actually sway your calorie intake so that you're going to be eating less calories. The other thing is is to just really watch the amount of fat and the amount of sugar that you do eat. Um, it is one of those common fallacies that sugar necessarily um, feeds cancer. Um, however, eating a, a high calorie diet uh, can can fuel can fuel cancer. So um, you want to avoid uh, food sources that have a, a lot of calories and very little nutrients. Um, sugar doesn't uh, has a lot of calories, but it has relatively little nutrients. So uh, the more that you can avoid sugar, the better off you are. 
Fat does have nutrients in it, uh, and indeed there are some fats that are better than others. Uh, for example, olive oil is better than um, uh, other oils that, that one can have, but it does have a lot of calories, and sometimes people do lose sight of, of the fact that any sort of oil, any sort of fat, uh, has uh, quite a few calories, and, and so therefore you really have to be parsimonious with how much of that fat that that you put on your foods because it's very easy to put on more salad dressing, to put on more dabs of butter, uh, and that fat usually makes food taste better. So um, the, um, it, there, there is your your taste buds will will um, appreciate it, but your waistline will not. And uh, so there are some simple tips that people do use uh, to reduce their fat intake. Um, again, one big culprit is salads, and salad dressings are um, uh, very high in fat. So uh, to order salad dressings on the side, and if you do order salads, salad dressings on the side, instead of putting the salad dressing on your salad, instead dip your fork into the, the salad dressing and then spear your greens or spear a tomato or whatever, you, you'll use far less of uh, that salad dressing. Um, another thing is, is to try to avoid how many calories that you drink. Um, if, if one could uh, avoid sugar-sweetened beverages, uh, whether they be um, sodas or soft drinks, uh, which clearly uh, offer no nutrient value and, and are just loaded with sugar, but it also means juices, too. You can get a lot of calories through juice, so it's if you are seeking to limit your um, calorie intake, to um, to eat your fruit rather than to drink it, uh, and uh, you'll be able to reduce your calorie intake there. Um, the other thing, don't, and this is a big one uh, for our uh, women that um, are on various weight reduction regimens. And I must put in a plug. Currently, we are doing excuse me, uh, a clinical trial on weight loss in overweight and obese women that do have breast cancer. And so this uh, trial is, be, is called the ENERGY trial. It's being conducted at four sites throughout the United States. So if you do live in a region where they're conducting this ENERGY trial and you are a uh, breast cancer survivor that has been diagnosed within the past five years and are interested in losing weight, you may want to um, find out about it. This, um, the, this energy trial is being done at uh, the University of California in San Diego, in, at the University of uh, Colorado in Denver, and then also, um, also at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, where we are, and then also at Washington University in St. Louis. So if you live in any of those regions and you want to participate, we are still taking patients in, uh, or cancer survivors until the end of February, but it's, it's, it's quickly um, uh, uh, accruing patients at this point in time. Um, if you want to pursue weight loss on your own uh, and you think that you need more structure, uh, and you need to do some calorie counting, that's not outside of the question. And a very simple rule as far as how many calories your body needs is you take the weight that you want to be. 
and I encourage you to to be realistic with that weight goal. Um, if uh, you are, if you have never been 150 pounds during your adult life, and you uh, and you would look on the charts and see that your weight is supposedly supposed to be 120. It doesn't really matter what those weight charts are. Um, you should try to seek a, a realistic goal. And, uh, and usually, if you can lose anywhere around um, 5 to 10% of your body weight, you'll have tremendous health benefits by just losing a, a, a little bit. Um, and um, and that's, a, that's a good place to start. So um, set your weight goal um, realistically, and then multiply that times uh, the number 15. That will give you roughly, and I say roughly, the amount of calories that your body needs in order to maintain its weight. If you want to lose a pound a week, then you subtract 500 calories from that, and that gives you your calorie allowance for the day. If you want to lose two pounds a week, then subtract 1,000 calories. Um, the safe amount of weight loss that one's body should lose is anywhere from one to two pounds a week, and it really shouldn't go over that. Uh, so um, that is kind of a, a kind of a calorie gauge if, for those that are wanting more structure. One thing that Dr. Ligabel did bring up is uh, that there are dietitians that can help you, and uh, there are um, specialized dietitians that are affiliated with the Oncology Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group from the American Dietetic Association that have specific training as far as what an oncology uh, what a what an oncology patient or what a cancer survivor's uh, needs are. And I would encourage you to make sure that any dietitian that, that you do see has uh, is either a member of the ONDPG or is a certified uh, specialist in oncology. And they will have the, the initial CSO after their name. Um, as far as other strategies for weight loss, uh, there, there are a few. Um, again, don't bring tempting food into the house. If you must have an ice cream cone, then go to Baskin and Robbins and have a, an ice cream cone, but don't be buying a half a gallon of ice cream and, and putting it into your freezer. Uh, it can tempt anybody. And uh, if you bring it into the house, you will eat it. Uh, the other thing is is to serve plates up at the stove instead of serving family style at the at the table. And these are just some simple tips that can really go far. Um, Dr. Silver is going to be talking about exercise, and I'll, I'll get off the phone so that she can uh, give her presentation. Again, exercise is very important, um, but sometimes it's, it's easy for us to think, oh, we're exercising. We can eat as much as we want as long as we exercise. And sometimes that's... Um, uh, that can get us into trouble. Um, I just want to point out that it takes uh, seven minutes of walking to wear off six jelly beans. So uh, it's it doesn't uh, uh, the food that we eat adds up quickly, and uh, so we just have to be careful about what we do what we do eat. Uh, one sure way to um, uh, to lose weight is oftentimes re recording what we eat. Uh, and uh, it's uh, this is a strategy that's used for many weight loss programs. 
uh, and uh, people that if, if you just make one simple behavior change, which is to write foods down before you eat them, uh, if you are like most people, you, work, you will curtail your dietary intake by 10%. And, uh, and oftentimes it's just the cue that we need to say, gee, I, I really want that chocolate chip cookie, but if I have to write it down before I eat it, forget it. I'm not going to eat it. And that's a, that's a great strategy. So I'll turn the floor off to, to Dr. Silver, and I thank you for your attention, and thank you for inviting me to talk today. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Uh, Winfrey. Just a wonderful, wonderful presentation, um, actually, and uh, so informative and lots of tips for everybody, very, very specific, practical suggestions and tips that people can implement in their day-to-day -day living, and, and thank, you, thank you for that. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is Dr. Julie Silver. Dr. Silver uh, is Assistant Professor, Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Harvard Medical School. Um, and Dr. Silver is going to address the role of physical medicine, benefits of physical activity, types of exercise, and tips and strategies on how to get more exercise. So it's now my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Silver um, and Dr. Silver. Thank you, Carolyn, and, and those were wonderful presentations. It's a pleasure to have an opportunity to speak with all of you today. Um, I'm a medical doctor who specializes in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And I really want to talk about the role of rehabilitation in exercise and in healing from, from toxic cancer treatments. So many of us who've been through cancer, and I've been, I'm a cancer survivor too, um, really need to heal as well as possible uh, from cancer treatments. And, and the idea of accepting a new normal, while important, um, needs to be accepted after we've healed as well as possible, whether you're living with cancer as a chronic condition, you're cured, you're in remission, or whatever your status is at this time. So thinking about rehabilitation medicine, there are healthcare professionals who specialize in this, in this uh, realm of medicine, in this field of medicine. And those specialists include doctors like myself called physiatrists, as well as physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech-language pathologists, and rehabilitation nurses. So there's a, a whole group of healthcare professionals that really specialize in rehabilitation medicine. The people who specialize in the exercise aspect are generally physiatrists, the doctors, as well as physical and occupational therapists. And one of the things to really think about as you're trying to decide about your own exercise program is do you need to have a consultation or would you benefit from a consultation with a rehabilitation medicine professional? And one, one cancer survivor summed it up to me eloquently when she said, you know, my oncologist referred me to an exercise class and I felt like the overweight kid in gym class who couldn't keep up. And if you've ever felt like that, like you just can't keep up, then you're probably not in the right class and you probably actually need individualized help with figuring out your exercise program. And that's really important because in the United States at least and in many other countries, this kind of help with your exercise program, what we call therapeutic exercise or Therex for short, is actually covered by medical insurance. So medical insurance usually will cover a referral to a physiatrist or a physical therapist or an occupational therapist who can help you develop an appropriate exercise program. 
which doesn't mean that some people shouldn't be just referred to an exercise class, especially if the uh, person who is teaching that class is really trained in, in cancer care and, and specific exercises for cancer uh, survivors but that not all cancer survivors are really ready to go to an exercise class. And if you think about it in terms of stroke, if someone just had a stroke and they were referred to an exercise class, that might not be the best thing for them at that time. They might actually need rehabilitation medical care first and then go to an exercise class later. So switching gears here and talking a little bit about types of exercise, there's a lot of different classifications of exercise, but one way to think about it is to break it up into three different groups, flexibility being the first group, strengthening exercise being the second group, and cardiovascular or aerobic conditioning being the third group. When we look at studies, we know that the greatest benefits from exercise occur with both cardiovascular and strengthening exercises, which means that when you're figuring out your exercise program or how much time you have, um, you really want to think about, okay, so if I'm going to get the greatest benefit from cardiovascular and strengthening exercises, then I want to spend most of my time on that rather than on flexibility exercises. There are exceptions, however. Sometimes flexibility exercises are really important. I'll give you an example. Let's say a woman has had a mastectomy, and she has a lot of chest tightness and problems moving her shoulder. She may roll over on her shoulder at night and have pain in the shoulder and it wakes her up and she thinks, oh my goodness, my cancer has come back. When in fact, that's not true at all. In fact, what's happened is that her muscles are really tight and she's not moving her shoulder real well in the, in the socket and she actually needs to work on flexibility exercises with a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. That can be incredibly helpful, not only for function, but also to just relieve any worry about um, the cancer coming back when in fact it hasn't come back and it's really just a problem with flexibility. So there are very specific times when you want to be thinking about flexibility exercises, but the vast majority of time really should be spent on strengthening and cardiovascular exercises. So thinking about exercise and, and practical tips, what's a practical tip to just sort of get you thinking about, about how to start? One of the things I do with my patients is I ask them to get a pedometer, or I give them a pedometer, and I, I ask them to track how many steps a day they're taking. And when I ask them to track how many steps a day they're taking, this isn't even recommending exercise yet. All I'm doing is asking them to tell me how active they are already. And the goal for active, healthy people is 10,000 steps a day it's really interesting to see where someone is at. And it's very enlightening, not only for you, but for your doctor to know how active are you and if there are any problems that you may be having as you're, as you're walking or moving about. Do you have any shortness of breath? Do you have any chest pain? Are there any symptoms, anything that's limiting you that, that you feel like is really a problem? That's a conversation you really want to have with your doctor about how active you are and what may be keeping you from being more active. When I, when I talk to my uh, patients, I actually ask them to not only keep track of their steps, but I ask them to make two lists. The first list is their priority list about the things that are really, really important to them. So, and, and usually I ask them to list things that they can control. For example, they may be able to control some of the things about their diet that, that were discussed earlier. They may be able to, do, to control things about their, 
their exercise and their physical activity. So those might be goals. That's their priority list, perhaps to, to eat better, to include more fruits and vegetables, to exercise more, and so on. And then on the, another list, I ask them to list everything that they've done, and they, they go moving forward for three days. So they have a log of their activities. And remember, um, it was suggested that, that uh, you keep track of your food, too. These logs are so helpful in really showing you what you're doing and, and how you might implement very small changes that can make a big difference. So the one list has the priorities, and the other list has what you're doing for three days. Now you want to look at do these match up. Is what you're doing over these th this three-day period matching up with what you really have as your priorities? And if it's not, how can you better match up the things that you're doing with what's important to you and your priorities, whether they're diet or exercise or whatever? That is really, really helpful for people just to take a look at how their priorities match up with their to-do list. Specific uh, examples of, of things that have, have helped my patients and other survivors who, who have uh, shared their stories with me uh, include the, the pedometer tip, but also how about just walking and talking? That's a great tip. So let's say you're on the phone, and instead of just sitting there in a chair, you get up and you walk around your house in a circle, or maybe you get on your treadmill, or if it's a nice day, go outside and walk up and down the street or up and down across your porch or whatever. Uh, I do that all the time at home when I'm talking on the phone, and I'm sure that my neighbors think it's a little weird, but honestly, it gets me outdoors and feeling really good, and I don't even notice how many steps I'm taking because I'm just walking and talking. A lot of survivors tell me that they got a dog and that that really got them up and moving and so on, and I always thought that was such an interesting suggestion. It's not for everyone. Um, certainly, you have to take care of a dog and so on. But a lot of survivors say that the time when they, they really wanted to be more active, whenever that was, whether they were starting treatment or in the middle of treatment or finishing treatment, that they decided that they wanted to get a dog and that the dog was the best thing that they did, that they got, because the dog nurtured them and got them outdoors and talking to people and moving around and so on. So I, I always like that suggestion if that's a good fit for someone. Cross-training is a concept of doing different exercises at different times, and that's a really good idea to use various parts of your body. So if you like to swim and you like to uh, cycle and you like to walk or run or use a stair stepper or an elliptical trainer or whatever, it's great to cross-train, to mix it up. The same is true with, with your um, strengthening program and just doing, using different muscles at different times. That's also a really good idea. What about just making exercise fun? Sometimes it's hard to make exercise fun, and it really is a chore. But how about making a date? Have people who come up to you and, and said, um, how can I help you, and they've brought you meals and done all these things, and perhaps they still want to help, a really great thing to say instead of, yes, bring me a casserole or lasagna or whatever it is, how about let's make a date to exercise and go for a walk in the park or do whatever. Take people up on their offers to help and do something active. You'll both get something out of that, and that's a really great thing to do, not only for yourself but for them too. What about if you're just too tired to exercise? Many people are too tired to exercise when they're going through cancer treatment and even afterwards. So think about when you feel the most energetic. Is that the morning? If so, that's probably the time to exercise. 
don't forget to eat a good breakfast, though, before you exercise because you'll feel really bad if you exercise on an empty stomach or just use coffee as a pick-me-up in the middle of your workout. You won't feel very good. Also, thinking about being tired, if you're really tired, how are you sleeping? Because if you're not sleeping well, you're never going to feel very energetic. If you aren't sleeping well, have a specific conversation with your doctor about sleep. Almost every cancer survivor tells his or her doctor that they're tired. And most oncologists hear that so much that they don't necessarily always ask about why the person is tired. If you're tired and you're having problems with sleep, tell your doctor that. Tell your doctor that you're waking up in the middle of the night, of the night with pain or that you're anxious or that you have to get up to the, go to the bathroom, or whatever it is that's causing you to not sleep well, talk to your doctor about that because that affects everything else in your ability to heal. It affects how, how much energy you have, how much exercise you're able to do, your mood, and all kinds of things. So very important. These are just some of my tips for um, getting more exercise. But really what I want to share with people is that whatever, whatever level you're at now, Almost everyone, and truly this has absolutely um, uh, been shown in the studies and so on, is that almost everyone has the opportunity to bump up their health a little bit, sometimes a lot. So wherever you are now, there's a really good reason to believe that you're going to feel better, hopefully a lot better in the future. I wish you all well. Thank you very much, Dr. Silver, for just an outstanding presentation again and just really for giving, again, very helpful tips and suggestions to everyone of what we can all do to actually um, enhance our activity level. So thank you so much. And we now do have time for questions, and I'm going to ask Mary to bring all of our speakers on board. And we're going to ask Mary to explain to you how to queue up for questions, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And if we don't get to your questions, you'll just give us a call at Cancer Care afterwards, and we'll address them. So, okay. Um, and I'll give you those instructions as we approach the end of the call. Um, Mary, would you explain how to queue up for how everyone should queue up for questions? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. For those of you on the web, you may submit your questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Michelle G. Your line is open. Hi. Um, I have a question about a, a different side of nutrition, and that is um, maintaining weight when chemo is causing problems with diarrhea and nausea, um, what kinds of foods to eat, and how to keep your weight up. Oh, that's a wonderful question, Michelle. I'm glad you asked it, and I'm going to ask Dr. Ligabel and Dr. Wendy DeMarc Winifred to address that question. It's such an important question. Thank you. Dr. Ligabel, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, you know, from a medical perspective, I think that those are some very common side effects that people experience with a lot of different cancer therapies. And I think that you know, one of the first things that is important to work on with your doctor are, are, there, are there ways to help alleviate the diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. Um, there are a lot of medicines that we have at this point that are helpful for controlling symptoms. And sometimes the things that we try first for an individual patient um, aren't the right ones for that person. Everybody's bodies are a little bit different. There are probably 10 different nausea medicines that we use at this point. So I think that you know the first step 
in trying to maintain weight for people that are losing it because of side effects of therapy? Can we really address the side effects that people are having with a different type of nausea medicine, with different types of bowel a bowel regimen, if people are having diarrhea, um, using things like probiotics, if the problem is that people's GI tracts really just can't hold on to the normal bowel flora. And so you know, for my patients, we usually kind of start with a medical intervention to try to alleviate the symptoms as much as possible. Um, and then I think I can turn this over to uh, Dr. DeMarc Wanifred to kind of talk about specific eating patterns. Thank you. Wendy? Yeah. Well, if you're having diarrhea, the, probably the, the most uh, important thing to do is to make sure that you're well hydrated. Uh, again, when, with diarrhea, you can easily become dehydrated. So drink plenty of fluids. Uh, as Dr. Ligabel said, uh, sometimes probiotics are um, are indicated, and some of these probiotics are available through foods. So yogurt that has active cultures in it can can be helpful in restoring the um, the microflora of the gut uh, and, and make it so that it's healthy. Um, and then also, this is uh, this is a problem that responds to actually like a lower um, fiber intake. Oftentimes, we try to prescribe as much fiber as possible, uh, but fiber can um, uh, cause gastric motility, and, and therefore, instead of eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, um, you know, fruits and vegetables are still good, but you may not you may want to reduce the amount of of uh, down to Five servings a day, if, if you're you're going over that, uh, and then to um, and then to use lower um, uh, fiber foods for for the whole grain. So perhaps this is not a great time to be uh, loading up on a lot of whole grains, but to to, to use more unrefined grains. Um, again, this should alleviate over time, and this is a, a diet that you would just use um, during the the period of the diarrhea. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, our next question, please. Our next question comes from Suras H. Yeah, uh, my question is, uh, I have multiple myeloma, and my bones are susceptible to fracture. So what kind of bone strengthening exercises I can do, and for how long? Oh, that's an excellent question. Thank you for asking that question. I'm going to ask Dr. Silver to address your question in a general way, and then we hope you'll take that information back to your treating healthcare team in terms of um, exercise. Uh, Dr. Silver, could you address that? Sure. So that is a really good question. And it's, one of, it's a question that, that um, you want to bring up with your doctor and ask about what, what kinds of appropriate exercises um, would work for you and what kinds of precautions um, would be appropriate given your particular uh, status. But in general, when we think about increasing the density of bones, we're really talking about weight-bearing exercises and resistance exercises. So for example, um, weight-bearing exercise would be uh, walking or running, whereas swimming wouldn't be weight-bearing. Swimming is very buoyant. So you want to think about um, you know, the kinds of, of exercises that, where you're bearing weight on your, on your legs or your arms and really using them. The other thing to be thinking about are resistance exercises, such as strengthening exercises. And you can do those by using your own body weight, um, for example, doing a squat against the wall, like a wall slide. Or you can use TheraBands. Those are those elastic bands that people use. You can use 
um, weight machines, and all kinds of different uh, weight-bearing exercises or, or uh, resistance exercises. However, um, someone with multiple myeloma or another kind of cancer that's really affecting their, their bones and their bone density, they want to talk to their doctor and just make sure um, what kinds of resistance exercises or weight-bearing exercises are appropriate and make sure that there's a way also to not only start an exercise program but advance that exercise program because the kinds of exercises that you do at the very beginning aren't necessarily the kinds of exercises that you'll be doing six weeks into the exercise program or six months in or six years later. So those are all important things to be thinking about. Excellent. And there's another question for you, actually, Dr. Silver, from one of our online participants, and that is, when is the best time to start a physical activity regimen, given that as treatment progresses, weakness and fatigue increases? Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, I do have a lot of thoughts about that, and some of it's based on the research, and some of it's based on just um, working with cancer survivors. So the goal is in, in any kind of um, treatment is to try to stay as active as you possibly can. It can be really hard, though, and having gone through cancer treatment myself and knowing how active I was before and how active I was afterwards, I know that it can be very, very hard to stay very active because um, you just really are extremely tired and your body's not working the way that it normally works. Um, I remember uh, one time I was going for a walk and literally at the end of the walk, my husband was kind of pulling me up the hill, you know, holding my hand and really just pulling me up the hill. I was so, so, so exhausted. I had um, many days like that where I, I felt like I could actually um, do more than it turned out that I could do. But um, trying to stay as active as you can, and that's why a pedometer is really nice to even wear um, before you start treatment um, so that you can see how active you were before you started treatment compared to how active you are during treatment and then after treatment. And you can try to stay as active as you possibly can. Again, it's helpful to um, make a, a date with someone to exercise, make a plan. It's very hard when you don't feel good. Um, try to figure out during the day when you feel your best, when you're the least nauseous or um, having other uh, symptoms. And also um, try that walk and talk suggestion that I had because most cancer survivors will be talking on the phone to various people who call in to check on them or whatever. Even if you're walking for just two minutes, and then you hang up and then you get a phone call later and you, and you talk again for five minutes. Those minutes add up and those steps will really add up. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. And Dr. Lickabell, did you want to comment on that as well? Oh, I think just to uh, reinforce what Dr. Silver said, I think that there at this point is a lot of, a lot of data from studies that exercise during treatment is something that is safe and that when people are able to do it, they feel better during their treatment and it's a lot easier for them to recover afterwards. So, you know, I tell my patients, continue to try to be active during your treatment. If it's somebody who's been exercising regularly before their diagnosis, I really encourage them to, as much as they can, continue their exercise program. If it's someone who's really never been active, um, I encourage them, again, with walking. I've not ever heard the phone tip before uh, that Dr. Silver recommended, but I think I will start incorporating that into some of my, uh, some of my consultations with my patients. Uh, but I do tell people, you know, if, if you walk even for 10 or 15 minutes a day, that'll help you keep your strength compared to if you are you know, on the couch most of the time. And it's, a it's much easier to maintain um, 
physical fitness than it is to lose a lot of it and then try to come back from that after your therapy. Excellent. I have to say these are extraordinary questions and extraordinary responses. So this is a great, this is fantastic. Our next question, Mary. Our next question comes from Connie T. Yes, I uh, wanted to know if you would review again the um, studies that are being done on diet and exercise. I unfortunately missed that part. Okay, excellent. Um, so um, I'm going to ask um, Dr. Uh, DeMarc Winifred and Dr. Silva to address those issues. Dr. Um, DeMarc Winifred, do you want to go first in terms okay. of Okay, so I, I, I guess this was in response to the energy trial that I was giving the mm -hmm. information on. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I would assume. Um, okay, let let me repeat that information. So right now we are do uh, we are doing a Vanguard study of 800 breast cancer patients or breast cancer survivors who are within five years of diagnosis and who are overweight or obese and want to lose weight through a diet and exercise program. Uh, this is called the ENERGY trial and it's being conducted at the University of California at San Diego. Uh, it's also being conducted at the University of Colorado in Denver. Uh, also being conducted at Washington University in St. Louis and then also um, the University of Alabama at Birmingham. So if you are close to any of those places and you feel like you want to participate, we would love to have you. Excellent. And Dr. Silva, do you want to add to that? Well, I think Dr. Ligabel um, summarized things nicely, and I know listeners can, um, uh, this will be recorded and listeners can come back and listen to this later as well for more information. But the main thing to really remember about um, diet and exercise is that they do go hand in hand and that um, the studies are showing that, that uh, one of the real keys to, um, the, uh, to feeling good, healing as well as you can, and, and to getting great health benefits from diet and exercise is to think about both of them and think about that concept of energy balance and trying to do whatever you can in each category, the diet category and the exercise category, as much as you can so that they work together synergistically and really give you a powerful boost in your health. Carolyn, I have one more comment. Yes. Yes, so if, if in, you know, this is the energy trial, and it's just one of many trials that are being conducted throughout the nation. So I would really encourage uh, listening, the listening audience to uh, perhaps get on, uh, access the uh, clinicaltrials.gov website. And that's a great uh, resource to, um, to find out more about the clinical trials that are being offered. Now, many of those trials are going to be pharmacologic trials and, and uh, of, of different agents. But many of those trials also are going to be lifestyle interventions, exercise, diet, mindfulness. Uh, and uh, um, sometimes you have to be, uh, you have to reside near the study site because the, the, the measures are being conducted at a specific place. But more and more, these trials are being conducted through home-based or distance medicine-based medicine, uh, and uh, that you can participate from anywhere in the country. So I would encourage um, people to get on that website. Now, the website for this, uh, the energy trial is um, uh, energytrial, all one word, dot ucsd.edu. 
And actually, the National Cancer Institute also, for those of you who prefer the phone, you can call them at 1-800, the number for cancer. And all that information is in your materials. Um, and it's a wonderful place to get additional information about all the trials. Now, there is another question from one of our online participants. And it's really about um, starting or maintaining a vegetarian or organic diet during or after chemotherapy versus eating a high-protein adequate calorie and fluid diet. Um, so I'm going to ask Dr. Ligabel and Dr. Wainfried to actually comment on that. Um. Sure. Um, there, this is an area of a lot of interest. I mean, there are clearly different types of diets that have been tested uh, for weight loss. Um, we are, I think, all familiar with diets like the Atkins diet that remove carbohydrates, other diets that look at low fat, um, and a lot of them will lead to weight loss. And there has been a question about whether one of these types of diets is better for cancer patients than another one. Um, there is actually a study that is going on now that is comparing different types of diet um, low-carbohydrate, low-fat diet, looking at how these impact um, markers that have been linked to breast cancer. Um, the study is going on right now, um, and we don't have any results from that, but I think that there is a lot that we don't know about the best type of weight loss diet or diet in general for cancer patients. I know that my patients come in all the time feeling somewhat bombarded by all of the instructions of, you know, you need to avoid this food. Don't eat anything white. Don't eat anything with sugar in it. Don't eat, you know, and I, I wish honestly that it was that simple, that there was, that we could just tell people, eat organic food, stay away from sugar, and your cancer will never come back. Um, at this point, I think that the evidence really suggests that a healthy, balanced diet, plant-based, not a lot of fat. I mean, the type of diet that Dr. DeMarc Wanafred was talking about earlier in the call is the best one for people in terms of many health concerns, whether it's cancer or heart disease. Um, it would be easier if there was one food to eat or not to eat. But I think that at this point, we really don't have that level of specific information about cancer and diet. Um, I'd certainly be interested in Dr. DeMarc Wanafried's thoughts on this. I'm not sure I have anything to add. Uh, I think that you handled the question uh, very well. Um, again, what we, what we recommend for cancer survivors is a, a diet that, that is plant-based, so um, that, that derives uh, most of its volume, calories, through, through um, uh, plants, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, um, a... Um, an adequate amount of meat uh, or, or meat substitute. You don't have to eat meat in order to be healthy. Uh, and uh, and uh, to avoid very high concentrated sources of, of calories if, if indeed weight, um, you're trying to lose weight or maintain the weight that you have. Excellent. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You have been extraordinary. This has been an extraordinary call. I want to thank all of you who have asked such really wonderful questions. And, um, and all of you who have been listening as well. I do want to remind you that this is a one-hour program and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one-hour program. So I do want to remind you of all the services you can access from Cancer Care. Now, Cancer Care has a staff of 40 master's level trained oncology social workers, and we're here to provide practical and financial assistance. We're here to offer you counseling services, someone to talk to, 
support groups on the telephone online. And we have lots of these educational workshops as well as materials and fact sheets and booklets that we can send to you. But most importantly, as we conclude our program today, I would not want anyone to feel that you're alone in coping with cancer. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support and that we're here to help you. And we're simply a telephone call away, 1-800-813-HOPE. You can visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Also, as you approach this holiday season, again, it's a time when people often do feel it's a bit harder. And so definitely take advantage of these services. You are definitely not out there all by yourself. You have access to free support. I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.